Hello and welcome back to There Was an Idea, a Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast. I'm your host TK, a teacher and pop culture enthusiast. In this episode, I see everything. I'm joined by a brand new guest to the podcast, comic book writer Michael Tanner, in a fully spoiled discussion about episodes 6, 7, and 8 of What If. If you're enjoying the podcast, you can follow me for updates and behind-the-scenes extras at anidea underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter. And please consider leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And one more quick announcement before we begin. There Was an Idea now officially has merchandise. You can find the link in my bio on Instagram as well as in the show notes this week and moving forward. You can find yourself There Was an Idea t-shirts or a There Was an Idea mug. Enjoy the episode. Today, I am joined by a special guest, a brand new guest here on the podcast. It is comic book writer Michael Tanner. Michael, welcome, and thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm excited to have this conversation. Yeah, and before we dig into our conversation about what if, please tell listeners a little bit about yourself and the work that you do. All right. Uh like was said, I am a comic book writer. I am currently working on a series with Justin Roiland, the co-creator of Rick and Morty. Uh, it's a sci-fi fantasy comedy series called Orcs in Space. It's about three idiot fantasy style orcs who steal the most advanced spaceship in the galaxy and go off and have wild adventures. Uh, the first uh, trade paperback, the collection of the first four issues, just came out. Um, so if it sounds like something you might like, uh, please check it out. I also do a graphic novel series, um, a young adult survival horror series called Junior Braves of the Apocalypse, which is about a group of kind of Boy Scouts, but not Boy Scouts who go on a camping trip. And when they come home, the zombie apocalypse has happened and we follow their adventures through this uh, zombie mutant infested world. <laughs> so something familiar to viewers of What If. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, we have intergalactic space stories. We have some zombie apocalypse. Boy Scouts, but not Boy Scouts. I'm already sold. This sounds wonderful. So thank you. Not for... <laughs> to toot my own horn, but both of them are pretty good. <laughs> I'm sure they must be, and I'm looking forward to checking them out as well. Now, we're going to be talking about the Marvel world today. And talking a little bit about what's going on with the current show, What If? And and I, I'm looking forward to hearing about your experience reading the What If comics. But the first question that I typically ask all of my guests is about their relationship to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So I'm curious for you, was Marvel something that you grew up with and were already a fan of the comics before getting into the Cinematic Universe? What has your relationship been like? Oh, I've always been a Marvel kid. Above anything else, Marvel, what, those were the comics I grew up on. Those were the comics I loved. So my history with Marvel Comics is deep and rich, uh, and I've always loved the movies. I've, um, I've enjoyed all of them, uh, some more than others, but I am, I'm one of those people like, I am excited for new Marvel movies. Um, it's just like, even, even the ones that people think are bad, not, not the MCU <laughs> ones, but like the pre MCU, like daredevil, the director's cut of daredevil with Ben Affleck is a good movie. And I think the, uh, the theatrical cut is not bad, <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I still, I still like it. So I'm, I'm very easy to please when it comes to Marvel on the big screen. We are speaking on the day of the release of Venom. Let there be carnage. Are you going to go see that this weekend? It's funny. I, I didn't get a chance to see the first one. Uh, 
Um, so I'm just waiting for the opportunity to see them both. I, I might wait until I can do a double feature of both movies, one after the other, and see see how they stand up. That's not a bad idea. Funny enough, I actually booked my my ticket to see the new one later this weekend. I booked it through the AMC app earlier today. And through the AMC membership, there's this prompt that says, for $9.99, you can buy video on demand access to the first Venom movie so that you can plan your own back to back. Ah, some good marketing. <laughs> yeah, they're doing that tie in. <laughs> I thought that was funny. So within the MCU, do you have any favorite movies or characters? Well, <laughs> part of my Marvel fandom is for some reason, don't really understand why. One of my favorite characters was always Quicksilver. Mm-hmm. Um, so when Quicksilver showed up, well, when he shows up in the post credits of, um, I think, Winter Soldier, I was super excited. And then I was loving every moment he was on screen in Age of Ultron. And then, of course, he dies. And um, even though they seeded a lot of ways they could bring him back in that movie, once it was clear that he was dead, dead, I was very sad. Uh, so Quicksilver, like overall, is a favorite character of mine, whether it's comics or movies, even in the X-Men movies, like he's great. That version's great. Um, but my favorite character is still kind of kicking around in the MCU are Scarlet Witch and Vision. Because those are my if Quicksilver is my favorite character, my second favorite character is a Scarlet Witch, and my third favorite character is Vision. You know, it's funny that you mentioned these characters because just earlier today I was re-watching Age of Ultron. Ultron was on my mind because of the most recent episode mm-hmm. of What If? And more and more. That was not a movie that I particularly connected to when it first came out. It was not one that I considered to be among my favorites in the MCU. But as time goes on, because I love those three characters who you just mentioned so much, that movie upon rewatch gets better and better for me. And it's kind of comforting to watch now, especially because I am such a big fan of, of Scarlet Witch and Vision that I, after seeing WandaVision especially, it kind of recontextualizes that movie. And so I find myself going back to it more often now. I I always really liked Age of Ultron because it felt like it was an, an Avengers adventure in this world where the Avengers have had many adventures after Loki's invasion of New York. And that that this was like, this was an, like an issue of the comic. It was like, this is a storyline. Like them... The Avengers are doing a thing. They're having an adventure. And this is just one of many adventures the the Avengers have had and will have like going through the galaxy. So that's why I liked it. It felt like, oh, this is the the status quo is the Avengers are a team and they fight, you know, they fight supervillains in this universe and that works. And then afterward, they have revels sometimes and they hang out as friends. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's one of my favorite things about Age of Ultron is just seeing them hanging out and having the party. And I, I like the way you put that. It feels very much like you're dropped into a moment when Age of Ultron starts. And I, I like that very much. So the focus of our conversation here today is going to be about what if and specifically the most recent episodes six, seven and eight. And you had mentioned to me when we connected online that you were a fan of the What If comics. So I'm dying to hear more about those and what resonated with you about those stories. Yeah, um, I was kind of doing homework for this. And I realized when looking back on those issues, I was only a really big fan for a very short period uh, in the 90s. But those stories... Um, really stuck with me. And that was, I always loved the concept of what if, like the comic was very much based for the most part around very big events. It was like, what if 
the, you know, what if the heroes lost this major comic book crossover or what if so-and-so died? Um, and it was kind of like big major events and they would occasionally do more kind of character focused, like kind of minor stories. Um, but yeah, I, I think at the time that I was reading them kind of like as you know, an 11 year old kid in the early nineties, it was just these kind of strange peeks into what might've been. And very often like what if stories were very often dark, like mm. the, the you, a lot of the time it was like, every character you like is going to die or have died to make this story happen. Um, so death counts were, were very big in what if, and that's, you know, you don't often see that your favorite characters get blown up and then you have to see the story tells you the consequences. Um, so it's like, it was a very, it's very fun because they're kind of wild. Anything can happen. Um, and there was just, it was just a fun, very fun read for being like kind of dark stories, you know, it was, Oh, it's just a one-off very rarely were there multi-part part stories. It was okay. like, like the series, it was kind of a one and done. Um, you get, you get this story set in this premise and then you'll never go back to it. And occasionally kind of later on in the run, they would do returns or those characters would pop up in other, in other issues in the multiverse, you know, but you know, fond memories of that book uh, where I thought my fandom had stretched years and dozens and dozens of issues. There's really, is really like probably under 20 issues that I actually bought as a kid. Isn't that funny how that happens sometimes that like your sense of, of your memory <laughs> is not quite. Yeah. The- but I see it's in the series, like in, like I, the, in the, in the Disney plus animated series, you get a lot of, that that same tone is there's some there's some episodes that really feel like oh this would have been one of the more character focused uh, issues of the comic or this is a big event comic uh, so it's I I think tonally the animated series is very close to the comic. That's interesting to hear. Are there any big differences that you notice? Um, well, I kind mm, not necessarily because they are limiting it to the MCU. Right. Um, and they're not really introducing anything that didn't already exist in the MCU. Like we're not wildly seeing like the fantastic four showing up in one of these episodes. Cause it's what if like they could, uh, cause it's an alternate reality, but they are really honing to like, it's only stuff we know already. Yes. I think I, that's an observation that I made as well with the series being unfamiliar with the what if comics, but I also noticed that that it was focusing on characters who we've already spent a lot of time with, particularly, you know, you mentioned the tone of the comics sometimes being quite dark. And one of the things that has stood out to me about what if is that we see many, many situations in which Tony Stark dies. And yes. <laughs> it's kind of an interesting way of approaching this character who we've known and loved for so many years within the MCU. And now we're seeing him die over and over and over again. And it's it's that dark tone that you were talking about, but it's also revisiting this same character multiple times. It's revisiting mm-hmm. a lot of the characters who we already know. And I think that that was an interesting decision that they made for this first season of what if and it seems confirmed that there will be a season two and i don't know do you have any sense of why they may have decided the creatives involved in the show would have decided to look back toward the characters we already know and love as opposed to hinting toward characters who will soon be in the mcu 
I think it's two things. I think very much the kind of probably Disney said like only do what's familiar to people, like the casual movie watcher, like don't dig too deep. Um, Cause then you'll, you'll confuse the, or you'll confuse or you'll put off like the average Joe who just, who just knows the movies. Sure. Um, and I think probably also there was maybe a directive to not, or to, to only play with the toys they had because they might have plans and they don't, they, they want the first time the fantastic four to show up in something owned by Disney to, to mean something. Mm. So they don't want them showing up on the cartoon on Disney plus. Uh, I think that's probably a big part of it. They're, they're, they might sneak in some Easter eggs, um, but overall, like there was probably a directive of them not to use anything that hadn't already been established in the movies because they wanted to be a bigger deal when they actually, when the real thing shows up, even though it's alternate reality and it, none of it matters. Like they still want it to be the first time so-and-so shows up. It'll be in this movie. The first time they show up, it'll be in this live action series. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Give audiences that chance to fall in love with the character in what is being referred to as the prime timeline or the sacred timeline or whatever it might be yes. first, right? Yeah, I but I do I do really hope they ease up on that for season two. Because there I think because there will be even though and it's also been pretty focused on kind of early days MCU. I guess I guess there's some Infinity War kind of stuff. Um, that pops up, but there won't be, there won't have been that much phase four out by the time a second season comes out. So I'll, there'll be, of course, some stuff that they, they'll be able to play with, but really would prefer them to have be given a longer leash, I guess would be a good way to phrase it for a second season. Yeah. I wonder if we'll see Shang-Chi. I wonder if we'll see the Eternals, right? More of these characters who might be involved in uh in a future season of what if i am um, on on my podcast burn after pitching uh we just recorded a what if episode where we had our panelists pitch what if ideas not necessarily for the show it could be what if anything um but i had the idea of, of a what if episode with with uh sean chi uh where what if tony stark recruited sean chi instead of uh peter parker for a civil war wow oh man that would be so good because it'd be like at that time, they would Peter and uh, Shang Chi would have been about the same age, um, teenagers. Yeah. So it had just been Iron Man doing research into the Ten Rings and finding like, oh, the leader of the Ten Rings has a son who's really good at martial arts, hiding in San Francisco. I'll recruit him rather than fly to New York and recruit some kid in a silly costume. That was that was my pitch for a what if episode for season two. Oh man, we'll see that, if they do it. That is such a cool idea. I'm, I'm going back to that moment in Civil War where you hear the song by the band Alt J, and you just see the words Queens on the big screen, and I'm, <laughs> I'm just imagining now it just says San Francisco, <laughs> and it goes to yeah. Shang Chi. Oh man, that is a very very cool idea. That's a fun fun experiment to play with the what if. Dot dot dot, <laughs> and uh, yeah, to come up with your own own like weird scenarios. It's it's fun to see what they could or couldn't do. Yeah, and I I do love that this is very much in the spirit of comic book storytelling, and that's something that you know you mentioned Easter eggs within the sh- within the series, and I was curious if there are any Easter eggs within the episodes of What If that have aired so far that may 
tie back to the original comics that maybe somebody like me would have missed, but somebody like you may have picked up on? The closest would be the zombies episode because uh, there was a Marvel zombies comic. Cool. Um, and I actually, I think that I think this episode of what if is much better than the Marvel zombies comic. Um, but I think a lot of this stuff from that episode kind of homaged a bit of the, of the comic book version of that story that the zombies in the Marvel zombies comic are not really zombies. Cause they still kind of maintain intelligence. Okay. So they're just really like evil cannibals <laughs> where I, I appreciate like in the what if episode, they were, they still like retain some knowledge like zombie Hawkeye could still shoot arrows, but they were still kind of like, they didn't talk. They were more zombie like, but yeah, I, I don't think there's that many comic book references in the show that wouldn't necessarily that's would be like oh that's clearly a reference to the comic okay. like in in this last episode you know we see um steve rogers being sworn in as president that's a what if there was a what if steve captain america became president i don't necessarily think that moment is meant to reference the what if comic i think it's just it is a kind of no-brainer that if you were coming up with mcu uh like scenarios you're like yeah what if Steve Rogers became president? <laughs> um, but that, that, I mean, that could have been a reference to the comic um, or, it, or it could have just been, you know, an idea that makes sense based on this scenario. But even like that in that final episode where we did see so many um, kind of like brief glimpses into alternate realities, you have the part where Ultron's beating up the watcher and like in New York during that, that swearing in scene. And each time he punches him, like the whole, world changes it's yeah. new york and then it's new york but it's uh like what if wakanda was it was new york and then it was like medieval which also could be a reference to um marvel 1607 comic which is just neil gaiman's comic where he just put the marvel universe in the year 1607 oh, cool. um, so they're all like you know pilgrim <laughs> pilgrim superheroes and uh elizabethan um like designs and whatnot, or that could just be like, well, we're having, you know, the skyline shift. Let's do a sure. city and then Wakanda city. And they're like, Oh, let's do castles. Like it could, could be a reference. Could not be. Marvel 1607 sounds fantastic. I, every- it's, a, it's a pretty, pretty interesting. Cause it's, it's not the characters. It's the characters as if they were in 1607. It's not those characters transported to 1607, sure. except in the case of Captain America, who is Captain America, who's been transported to 1607, um, but doesn't know it. He has amnesia. It's a it's kind of a weird story <laughs> when you get down into it, but um, it's it's a pretty good one. Oh, that's fantastic. I'm filing that away. Every time I speak with someone new, I am taking comic recommendations, and I am very excited to delve more into that world. On the recommendation of a couple of my guests, I finally read the Matt Fraction, David Aha run of Hawkeye. And uh, that's a very good run. Absolutely loved it. So I, I'm more, I feel a little bit more comfortable now diving into that world because for whatever reason, you know, for my own upbringing or whatever it was, movies were always something that I could easily connect to and dive into these cinematic worlds and really appreciate the storytelling of the MCU and understand that a lot of what it's doing and the interweaving storytelling on top of the characters themselves is owed to the comic world. 
And I appreciate that. And I understand that. And I want to get more into that world. But it feels a little bit overwhelming sometimes because there are just so oh, many definitely. different comics it's, out there. And there's so many different literally authors. decades, decades of storytelling. Yeah. And that's why like kind of like like Fractions Hawkeye, it's a good jumping on point because you don't necessarily need to know those 40 years of history. Um, but it can they're smart enough to know like what to pepper in and what to just be like, just go with it. We're just telling you, this is the situation. Just go with it. Yeah. Um, Bro. <laughs> yeah. It was great. Yeah. I'm, I'm very much looking forward to his uh, Disney plus series. Same. Yeah. I, 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 I was, and I wasn't quite sure how they were going to do it based on, because that character from fractions run is nothing like the MCU version of Hawkeye. Cause the MCU version of Hawkeye is, really nothing like the comic book version right. um, other than they shoot arrows. Um, but based on the trailer, it's like, wow, they actually have done a really good job to set it up um, for how this version of Hawkeye can kind of be in that situation uh, based on the, on the comic. Yeah. I'm very much looking forward to that. That trailer is very, very exciting. So thinking about sometimes the expectations that we have of, of these new installments in the MCU, and considering your background with the What If comics, was there anything about the series? And I know there's still one episode left of this What If series, but of what we've seen so far, was there anything about it that took you by surprise or kind of went against the expectations that you had? Uh, I the I think the Doctor Strange episode um, did just because it was so early in the run. Because that was episode three, maybe? I believe four. Oh. Okay. It just because it felt it was so very different from what the episodes before it were. It was it was a character based what if, which was like in the comics they would occasionally do those, um, but just in the series I wasn't expecting it, and I didn't particularly like that episode. It was one of those ones where like yeah I get it yeah I get it sure. like I know I I know the story. This is it's a it's a well told story, but it's been told. A lot of times, um, so that was the uh, that surprised me that it was kind of so early and kind of out of step, and I didn't really enjoy it. So that was kind of the outlier. Where other episodes, I'm like, yeah, this is a fun ride. I'm I'm on board with this. Um, the Captain Carter episode, the first one, I think was such a good setup because it was a kind of simple premise. And then I know some people didn't like it because it was just a retelling of the first Captain America movie, just with captain carter instead of captain america which i thought that was a good way to set us up to tell us like okay this is what the series is like very simple it didn't really challenge us but it gave us a, a very cool premise and gave us some neat stuff the world war ii iron man armor mm -hmm. you know piloted by tiny steve like great love it so yeah uh the dark strange episode was the only one that i didn't care for because it, it just it felt a little weird based on its placement Sure. I think that that makes sense. And that is also not one of my favorites. And a lot of people that I've spoken to are either in the camp of the Doctor Strange episode is the best, top two or three, or the Doctor Strange episode is the worst of what we've seen so far. I think there was something about the tone that didn't quite work for me. And I've, I've spoken about this, but I think through this run of what if some episodes have worked better for me than others have. And I've enjoyed the series most when I have been able to approach it as this feels like a one-off entry into this fun 
comic book world. So for example, I really enjoyed episode seven. We'll talk more about it today. I know that one was a little bit polarizing because it is so silly and ridiculous. (laughs) (laughs) And I fell on the side of really loving that one. Do you have a particular episode or two that stands out as being your favorite other than the Captain Carter, which I agree with you was a really good way, I think, of easing audiences into this? I, I really like the um, the what if the Avengers were all killed because mm-hmm. um, I just thought that was a good kind of mystery. It was like, who is doing all this? And then it kind of I think at the Hulk, that's when I was like, oh, it's. At first, I was like, is Ant-Man evil? Yeah. Um, and then when it, when it revealed that it was Hank Pym, I was like, that's a great reveal. Yeah. Uh, like the misdirect with like Loki being disguised as Fury. Um, I think that's probably the best episode because um, it is it, it has a cool mystery. It has a good what if. Um, it doesn't cheat too much. I think there's a cheat when there's like a reveal that it was like Hope was a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent. Um, when she wasn't a shield agent in our reality. So that felt kind of like a cheat where that was the motivation. They could have just made him was really just Hank Pym was really just bitter about, you know, Jan going missing and, you know, somehow turned bad. Um, But I think that's my favorite episode. I think the one I thought did the what if premise the best was the Killmonger episode. Cause that was, that was one of those good kind of like, it was a good, what if a simple Killmonger saves Tony Stark and just that very kind of simple premise snowballs everything from the MCU because it's the Iron Man's the first movie. It set everything up. Um, so I, I think that one is the best use of the premise. Yeah, it's interesting. I think what you're saying has me thinking about how some of these have very much leaned into there being one identifiable choice or one identifiable moment that changes everything from the world that we recognize. But others have seemed to change multiple things or leave us wondering, huh, in this alternate universe, does this thing that we understand work differently? Right, right. Right? It's not just one thing. It's an entirely alternate universe where like a bunch of things and we're just kind of jumping in at like one different choice, but a bunch of different things have already happened. Yes. And I think that this is actually kind of helping me to name something that has something that I've butted up against throughout this eight episode run so far, which is that there have been times where I kind of wish it just stuck to that one moment, one choice kind of thing Mm -hmm. so that we didn't sit there thinking about, oh, well, what are all of the other things in this world? Like episode eight, for example, there are a lot of questions that come up about the Infinity Stones, at least in my mind. Are there other things, you know, anything is possible in the multiverse. So it could be that X, Y, and Z is also different. But I like the Captain Carter premise, right, is so simple in that way. One choice, and now things deviate and Killmonger similarly. So thank you for phrasing it that way, because I think that that made me kind of reconsider. You're welcome. Yeah, there it is, right? We are going to dive into these episodes six, seven, and eight. As listeners of the show know, we are not going to go beat by beat and try to cover every single moment of the episode. We'll stick to a larger kind of favorite standout moment structure. For the other shows and movies in the MCU, we typically use the there was an idea about template and organize a discussion around some bigger ideas more thematically. But what's interesting about what if is that 
it doesn't feel like there's as much thematic stuff to dig into because the watcher always gives a thesis statement <laughs> in <Yes>. the episode. <laughs> so it's very much like the watcher saying, here is what this is about thematically. And here it is. So, so there's less to kind of dig into there. Um, but that being said, if we transition into episode six, what if Killmonger rescued Tony Stark? The thesis, so to speak, that the watcher puts forth is that heroes are not born. They're forged in darkness, shaped in battle, defined by sacrifice. And he goes on to speak about how a man was saved, a hero was lost, and a villain was given a new chance. So you mentioned already, Michael, that this episode worked for you. Tell us a little bit more. What did you think of this episode about Killmonger? Uh, I think where it really worked is it by introducing Killmonger in the context of uh, earlier in the MCU, uh, it really changes so much. Um, and th that character is just a very interesting character. It was great to see yeah. uh, him again and see him interact with characters he obviously didn't interact with. Um, but to kind of see that kind of snowball and to see his plan kind of unfolding. Um, and you, you know, you know where it's going. Like you, you know, not to trust him. Um, and you're so, so it's one of those things where you're kind of like frustrated, like yelling at the characters, like, no, don't trust him. He, <laughs> you know, he, he has a plan. Um, and like, like Pepper being kind of, you know, wise to like, there's something going on here, but not quite knowing what it is, but like, uh, as, as we move through and you kind of see each step, he's like, well, the play, the pieces keep falling into place for him and you keep waiting for something to get in his way to stop him but that's not the story this is what if we're gonna see we're gonna see this kind of play out um and yeah just like all seeing all those characters again seeing killmonger and getting to see claw again and just revisiting all of this and it's very dark like you know oh, like yeah. t'challa gets shot in the head tony gets killed by a drone like it's 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 so dark and it's leading to literally like world war three. And it's just a train that won't stop. And you're, we get the kind of um, possibility that something might happen when Shuri and Pepper kind of team up at the very end. And will we see this universe again? Maybe, maybe not. Um, but it is, it, it, it's that great kind of inevitable, like, Oh, down ending, which is coming. Mm -hmm. And it's just so compelling to watch because you're, you're wanting someone to get in the way, but the, it's just, it's not his plan is coming together perfectly. Yeah. And I also am a big fan of the Killmonger character. He's one of my favorite villains in the MCU. I think he's fantastic. It was awesome to hear Michael B. Jordan voice the character again. And as you said, one of the most delightful things about what if has been seeing interaction between characters who never had the opportunity to interact in live action and seeing the timeline cross in these interesting ways. So, you know, it's always a delight to be thrown back into the world of the first Iron Man movie. <laughs> it's, you know, to the line, uh, you'd be, I'd be out of a job with peace. And uh, I saw young Americans die, like, right. Like, and he's subverting some of his, uh, some of the lines from the original Iron Man movie and juxtapose that with this character of Killmonger who within the MCU was introduced, as you said, so much later and in a different world. And that's some of the most delightful stuff about this series is seeing that, uh, animated element that comes in that just allows us to see things that 
we wouldn't have seen before. Mm-hmm. I am curious to hear about what you thought of the characterization of Tony in this episode, because I had a couple of moments where I was like, huh, I was like, would Tony have really fallen for Killmonger's thing here, right? Like he made him the COO of the company so quickly. He seems to really trust this guy really easily. What did you think of that? I think that's, I think that's kind of valid. Um, Yeah. How much of that is, character and how much of that is we've got 30 minutes to tell the story <laughs> very true so i think we because we because we get very little of of tony pre making a suit of armor in a cave like in the movie and then like we get a little bit in you know iron man 3 with the flashback is i think they had to balance him being a jerk and being still charismatic because, uh, you know, pe- obviously people like him, Happy and Pepper like him. Sure. Um, so he can't be like too awful um, pre, you know, pre-cave. Um, but he still has to kind of like be bad enough to where he's, because I, I think it's, it's hard to reconcile like, well, we like him, but also he does make weapons of mass destruction. <laughs> right. <laughs> So I th- I think they had to do a little bit of shorthand having like he's he's just going to go along with it. You got to hop on the train. This is the story we're telling. Um so I I I'm willing to forgive if the motivation didn't totally work cuz I think it I it it didn't feel off. Yeah, it felt very much like to me watching this version of Tony Stark who in Every single episode, uh, sorry, in every single scene that he's in is drinking besides and is mm-hmm. commenting upon the fact that he's drinking. It definitely made me feel like this this could be a path that Tony would have went on, right? And and I think that that is very consistent with what we were talking about before, right? This idea that if one thing changes, it means a completely different path for our characters. What I think is really interesting about these episodes, too, And what I think the Killmonger episode does well is it's this exploration of across these different universes in the multiverse, what is it that makes the character the character? What are the things that remain consistent versus the things that change? And I think that what we see with Killmonger himself is that what remains consistent is this mission that he's on. And that's, I think, specifically showcased in the conversation that he has with Rhodey when he's saying you're wearing the uniform of your oppressors. And Rhodey says, like, be part of the system to change the system. And Killmonger's like, no, you you burn it down. To me, that was very much consistent with the character who we saw in Black Panther. That That's true. And yeah, you're really right. I hadn't really thought about it that way, um, about, like, characters being able to change based on, you know, their experience, like, within this. So we haven't seen that many alternate Captain Americas because mm. how much would Steve Rogers really change? Like if, if you did, if certain things happened to him, like what Steve would pretty much be the same guy. Like I can't, I can't imagine a scenario where Steve Rogers isn't Steve Rogers, like based on like, what if, you know, <laughs> like what if uh, sh- Peggy Carter died during world war two? Like, would that, make Steve a bitter, angry person? No, that's not his character. Right. Um, so yeah, so that's, I am just thinking kind of on the meta level, like, yeah, man, that's probably why we haven't seen too much 
of Captain America in What If, other than in, in Captain Carter and as Zombie Cap, is because Steve Rogers isn't going to change that much based on what they would be able to throw at him in this series. And watch, he'll he'll be the main villain in the next episode. <laughs> no, I think I <laughs> that would be hilarious. But I, I think that's a really great point. And I I'm also a big Captain America fan, so I'm a little biased toward Captain America and Steve Rogers, and I very much put him on this pedestal in terms of characters. But, you know, I think even in, to your point, in that Captain Carter episode, right, he doesn't get the serum, even though the episode's not focused on him and it's not his what if. We do see the what if he didn't get the serum and he is still dedicated to the cause. He is still dedicated to, I'm going to be a good person and I'm going to use the tools and the skills that I do have to help in any way that I can. And that never changed about him. And I, you know, as a Captain America fan, that makes me happy. Captain America doesn't change. Like he is who he is. Well, on that note, why don't we transition into talking about another character and thinking about the ways that maybe they change or not. <laughs> and that is Thor in the episode. <laughs> what if Thor were an only child, which of course focuses on mostly what if Thor were a party animal? I guess they just didn't want to name it that. Or really, what if Thor wasn't raised with Loki? Because Mm -hmm. we also know that Thor is related to Hela. Uh, However, Thor was not raised with Hela. Yeah, it's kind of a weird, it's a weird premise based on on us having seen Ragnarok. (laughs) Yeah, I think what they were getting at is like, you know, the nurture of it all. And uh, regardless, he wasn't raised with Hela, you know, so the, again, mm-hmm. our watcher thesis statement is more than battles won or lost. It's relationships that truly define a hero, the people who shape them, their stories. Okay, so we're in. What we're here for is that his relationship with Loki growing up is the thing that caused him to, I guess, not be this totally obnoxious, short-sighted party animal. Um, Not entirely (laughs) sure how much this makes sense, but I had a blast with this episode because I thought it was ridiculously fun. What's your take on Party Thor? (laughs) Party Thor is a really fun episode. Um, I like the meta commentary on on the way people viewed certain characters in the MCU. Yes. (laughs) Uh, The the premise is is weird. Uh, And I feel like it was they just set it up kind of poorly in the beginning. Cause so much of it is it's what if Odin made peace with the galaxy, I guess is like him, him bringing Loki back to the frost giants clearly like led to peace and good relations between them. Everything seems very kind of hunky dory in the galaxy in terms of the Asgardians. And so I think that's what leads to Thor being able to be like a, like a free will and party dude because uh, there's there's not wars like as established in the Thor movies, the Asgardians are always fighting somebody, and so Thor in the first uh, Thor movie is he's he's supposed to be kind of arrogant and proud because he's you know he's the best warrior, he's the prince. Um, so with so it must be the lack of having to fight and be a warrior that has mm-hmm. led him to be this kind of party animal dude. So it really is like, what, what if there was peace in the galaxy? <laughs> Cause that would lead to Thor being able to like be freewheeling. Cause he was always the prince. Like even when Loki was around, it wasn't like a question of who would be inheriting Asgard. Um, and as I, say, I, I really like the episode, but I do have complaints in terms of how it relates to the movies. Cause I yeah. think a lot of people forget the first Thor movie. Cause, cause 
it's I like it, but it's not really great. Yeah. Um, but Loki in the first Thor movie, he's he's not who Loki is by the time of Ragnarok, and they've even kind of retconned and backfilled Loki being more like his later version earlier, like when, when Thor was like, one time he, he transformed himself into a snake and he bit me. Cause I love snakes. Like <laughs> that whole story, Loki in the first Thor movie is very much like a, a wallflower. Um, he's very demure. Uh, and it's supposed to be like the jealousy kind of builds in him th- over the course of the first movie. And once he finds out that, you know, his whole family has been lying to him and he's actually, you know, a frost giant. Um, we have to kind of ignore that that was the original characterization of Loki and go with the later version where he's the trickster God of lies. Um, Cause the first movie did a very poor uh, job of establishing that. So there's like backfill that had to be done, but the party Thor episode, I thought works so well. Cause you get fun. Chris Hemsworth, just hamming it up as Thor. You get great kind of, you get great cameos. Oh, yeah. uh, it's fun to see Jane Foster and Darcy back working that original dynamic. Yeah, it's just a it's a it's a really fun episode. Uh, yeah, I don't really have any complaints about it, other than kind of like the if I, once I accept the premise of the episode, I'm fine. But I have to ignore a lot to accept the premise of the episode. I, I think I think you're nailing it in terms of uh, what. The suspension of disbelief. And for me personally, too, I had an easier time suspending my disbelief for this episode than I even did for, say, something like the Doctor Strange episode or even the uh, T'Challa as Star-Lord episode. Like, there have been a few that I've hit some type of block where I'm like, but wait, this other thing. And I don't know if it was just because this was purely just so funny and ridiculous that I was just like, okay, I'm along for the ride. But if you think about it too much, (laughs) There are some inconsistencies. But to your point, I think that the inconsistencies that we're finding are that the character of Thor went through and Loki went through a lot of big changes in how they were conceptualized in the MCU because those first two two Thor movies didn't necessarily work as well, I think, as um, later, later versions of those characters. Yeah. There is some, I, and it's it's starting to get a reevaluation, which I think is great. But Thor: The Dark World has some very good moments. Like one of my favorite Thor Loki mo- moments is when they're kind of escaping Asgard, um, and they're kind of talking about something, and they they have a moment, and Thor just says, "I wish that I could trust you." Yeah. Like it's such a powerful brother moment, and it's basically like all the Thor Loki stuff in Dark World is good. Um, it's just the rest of the movie is a little iffy, um, but I'm glad like people are kind of coming back to it and they weirdly made it very important to, to the MCU with like the ether and um, yeah. a lot, a lot of that stuff that came in later. Yeah, absolutely. So in this episode of what if, of course we see a different version of Loki, we see the frost giant Loki, which was fun, which was very fun to see. And uh, you know, just the, nod to well she's not my mother you know brother from another mother (laughs) that kind of thing there was a lot of ridiculous cameos a lot of ridiculous lines and things in this episode any standouts to you that you were just like oh my gosh this is ridiculous or hilarious the very meta moment when captain marvel kind of shows up (laughs) uh and thor says you know there's a word for women like you party pooper because it was so like 
the the way people react to the Captain Marvel character, like there was so much of that meta commentary, like you should smile more, like yes, so much of that, and just Captain Marvel like throwing down with him. I really, and I'm not even that big of a Captain Marvel fan, but I always like like when they will lampshade the ridiculousness with the way some people reacted to her. Um, so the, those those bits were great. Um, yeah, that's one of my favorite bits. There's a word for women like you. Oh, that was excellent. Party pooper. I loved that. I loved I loved how they were playing into it. I loved the maybe you should smile more. And I loved seeing them fight as well, because this is something that I don't think we would be likely to see in the MCU to see a face off between Thor and Captain Marvel. But one of the wonderful things about this animated format and this more similar to comic book storytelling format is to see these matchups between heroes like in the zombies episode we have hulk and zombie scarlet witch and that was super cool to see and Mm -hmm. to see uh to see thor and captain marvel here especially when they're punching each other across the map and it reminded me of the muppets when the muppets travel by map which is one of my favorite things (laughs) it's very comical uh to see them fighting at stonehenge and it's very cool and it also satisfies a little bit of that like you know superhero nerd thing of like ooh. Like what would a fight between this character and Who this would character win? look like? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now there's there's a moment um, during that fight where you see the, it's they're flying over like a tropical area, and there's a woman kind of lounging at the beach, yes, with like a tropical drink, but she doesn't react at all, and for some reason that shot lingers on her. Yeah. And I'm just I'm I'm hoping that pays off. I don't know how, but. My hope is that somehow that actually meant something. It wasn't just a weird. They're like, you know, let's let's hold this beat for uh, a little while longer and just like let fans speculate about who's this woman on the beach. Um, so I'm hoping that that pays off. But oh, who man. knows? I hope it's Mephisto. I'm kidding, but I, <laughs> I, I definitely. You know, honestly, my first thought was because uh, it's it's mostly silhouette, but I just had this one. I was like, is that Captain Carter? Because um, we don't know. Like maybe who knows, but. Yeah, there's literally other than the vague shape of the hair, there's nothing else for me to go on from yeah. there. Yeah, so. you're right though. It really did linger on that beat for a moment longer than yeah it makes sense. Yeah, interesting. And there's so many cameos in this episode. It's it's just oh my gosh, it's so it's just so bizarre. <laughs> yeah, it's it's real deep with like the Ravagers and like every yeah. alien race we ever saw. Korg, uh, yeah. Meek, like everybody, everybody's there. But oddly enough, like. We don't we don't see Iron Man, right? Um, we don't see Captain America. Um, so is this a universe where the Avengers didn't form, or are they just because this is supposed to be a world-ending event? Like right. Shield is involved, um, so it's just like where where's everybody at? But you know we don't know. Yeah, that's an interesting point because there's so many characters here. Maria is here, and Coulson is here, and Rumlow is here. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> I always, I always love when 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 he shows up because yeah. I like I like that actor and I like that that character. I wish they had done more with him as a villain, but just like whenever he shows up in flashbacks or anything, I'm always like, ah, Rumlow. <laughs> Give me some crossbones. Absolutely. Yeah. That's what's been cool about What If as well is just seeing, I mean, you know, Jeff Goldblum came back to voice the Grandmaster for what, yes. like a total of three lines in this episode, but it's it's wonderful. Oh, um, and, and it, of course it ends with the, the button of uh, we get to see the villain for the next episode pop into this universe, which is the first time, you know, like that tag at the end of the episode is going to kind of 
uh, move forward to the next one. Yes, I'm glad that you mentioned that because I, all along through the series of What If, one of the things that I felt uncertain about is, okay, so if we're saying that these stories are interconnecting at some point, if we're saying that this is canonical to the MCU, that this has weight, show it to me, right? Like, where are the stakes? Can, like, let's let's establish them. And so what I really appreciated was the end of this absolutely ridiculous episode, the one that felt like more of a one-off than anything else. We have Howard the Duck marrying Darcy by oh, an right. Elvis. Like, it's yeah. absurd. It's truly absurd. But we have the Watcher who, from episode to episode, right, is getting closer to us. The Watcher is becoming more defined in the animation, narrating this happily ever after, and, and that wait what moment of wait who is this? And you see Ultron vision with the infinity stones come in. I was like, okay, ridiculous episode, but now there's also some stakes. That was a great moment. Yeah. And also implied that, um, all those characters, all those versions of the care, those characters that we just loved watching for the last 30 minutes, they all just died <laughs> when Ultron destroyed that, destroyed that planet and that universe, man, as you said, dark. <laughs> yeah. Even even the Party Thor episode, which was the only one that didn't feel <laughs> particularly dark, ends that way. So then that transitions us into the most recent episode, What If Ultron Won? Which I have to say, I, I think, like you, episode three, the What If Earth Lost Its Mightiest Heroes, where all the Avengers died, that one has been one of my favorites all along. The Zombies one really stood out to me. Party Thor, because it was so silly. I think that episode eight, the Ultron episode, has been the one that I probably would say is my favorite overall, mm. uh, acknowledging the fact that it is the one that most recently came out. Uh, I thought it was fantastic. Oh, it's a great episode. Um, it's a lot of fun. And also, like, I think the, it tells a really compelling story. Yeah. Um, like, we get to see it's, it's, it's a good jumping off point. Like, okay, Ultron gets the vision body. So therefore, like we can assume all these other things. The event he the Avengers didn't stop him. And so clearly he wins. He, you know, drops Sokovia, <laughs> the capital mm -hmm. of Sokovia, like a like an astronaut, which is very interesting because that is actually a storyline from the comic. It's just okay. a different character who drops the um the the city asteroid. But then we get the great stuff with like Black Widow and Hawkeye, and like that scene was was great like i i like the way both characters were portrayed and i love their dynamic whenever they those two characters get to interact um and yeah it just kind of like it kept building with these great and like ultron fighting captain marvel and literally like basically blowing up a planet in order to stop her um and then like the fight with the watcher like i love when the watcher is like looking through his weird you know, mirror, mirror room of all the realities. And he just goes, what the hell? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's very strange, but it, it seemed to fit. Yeah. It's a great episode and a great setup going into um, the season finale, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I absolutely agree. I love that it focused on Natasha and Clint as being the last two of these human heroes, because, you know, again, we mentioned it before. What if is very much, looking back toward characters that we've known and loved for a while. I like how much emphasis it has put on like the original six Avengers and Natasha and Clint are 
two the two Avengers who are, you know, perhaps not arguably the the weaker, right? The more human. Mm-hmm. They don't have super soldier serum, right? They, they they don't have the Iron Man suit. We see here in this universe that Clint does have a metal arm and apparently some invisibility cloak. So I mean, that's a thing. Yeah. And we Natasha like is a badass motorbike rider and and when she takes out those sentry bots with the motorbike that was really sick that's pretty neat (laughs) i loved that so i mean they were awesome but i i love those two characters it's just funny for me to say because i was never a big hawkeye person but i've really really come around on hawkeye in the past six months or so so i i loved seeing them i loved as you said their dynamic is so wonderful i love that it's not over yet that despite what happens in endgame right we're seeing these characters continue to interact even if it is in this animated format and mm-hmm. I love that they are the most human, you know, arguably they are the most human of the Avengers and they're the ones who are representative of this last hope here. I thought it was really cool that it chose to focus on those two. And I also thought it was awesome to see the Watcher as more of a involved character in the story he's narrating, but then he also becomes directly involved in the story. I thought that was great. Yeah. And when he's watching them go through the files, he's like, oh, you're so close. You're so close. Just a little bit. Like you really kind of expected him to just be like, uh, like, um, like maybe push something through telekinesis or like s- something to kind of like nudge them the right direction. He's like, "Oh, you're so close." Um, that that was a great this that that scene is so great. Like the the way you know Hawkeye and Black Widow are interacting and Watcher commenting on it. It's uh, it's really like for a very kind of dark episode. Uh, it's very funny. Like, yes. In like in a not like one thing. It's funny when the vision um, slices Thanos in half the moment Thanos walks through his portal. That's funny, but it's funny. It's a different kind of funny. We have kind of character interaction funny with with Black Widow and Hawkeye in, in The Watcher. Uh, so different levels of humor in a very dark episode, which which worked really well. I agree. I took a screenshot of the the moment when the Watcher is gesturing toward Natasha and Clint like, with exasperation and he's saying the answer is right here because it very much reminded me of my own experience as a teacher when I'm like the answer is right here like what aren't you seeing (laughs) I felt like that was that was relatable but yeah I love the watcher and and from the very first few episodes I was like oh this watcher character is interesting it seems as if the watchers thesis statements the watchers presence here is what we should be paying attention to moving forward in the MCU. It seems like he is saying a lot of things about how the multiverse works, which is teaching us as viewers about what we can expect from the multiverse moving forward. At least this is what I'm kind of hypothesizing. Mm-hmm. So to see throughout the series that he becomes more of a character and yeah, I, you know, I felt really invested in what was going to happen with him here. And the fight was so cool. Like when he leveled up <laughs> and all of a yeah. sudden like had this armor or whatever and you know, Vision Ultron is is challenging him and and saying, you know, you watched all of the suffering and I'm going to bring bring peace. It's my purpose. You lack the will to stop me. And he goes, you cannot compute the power of my will. Like that was sick. That was really cool. Yeah, it's, yeah. So yeah, it's a very strong episode. With, like so many great scenes and like yeah, like Watcher powering up and the their fight through the multiverse. Um, so cool. and like Ultron calling, calling out the creep, uh, the, the watcher being kind of a creeper by just watching everything. <laughs> yes. And, uh, another moment that I really loved too, was seeing Natasha with the red guardian shield 
I thought that was a really good yes. tie-in too. And that's why I, if, if I think we'll get into it is what characters we think will come back for the finale. I'm pretty certain they gave uh, her that shield as a good like visual identifier for when, um, when she gets recruited for the if Avengers in the finale. Yes. Let's let's talk about it, and we can certainly come back if there's some more details we wanted to touch on for for any of of the episodes six, seven, or eight. But looking ahead to next week, it seems pretty clear, as you're saying, that the the watcher here in the last few minutes of episodes eight of episode eight tells the Doctor Strange Supreme version, "I need your help." Right? I see now. I need your help. And to your point. It certainly seems like Natasha with the Red Guardian Shield is going to be on this team. Who else are you tapping for the If Avengers? I love that. I love that. Phrase. All right, the If Avengers. This is my team. Okay, we got Demon Doctor Strange, Captain Carter, mm-hmm. uh, Black Widow with Red Guardian Shield with her Arnim. Zola. We didn't get into Arnim Zola, oh, yeah. um, Ultron drone sidekick. So I think he'll be uh, her sidekick. Um, I think zombie fighting Spider Man. Yes. Um, and oh, who uh, I T'Challa Star Lord maybe? Oh yeah, T'Challa Star Lord definitely. And then I think there will be a wild card of a Captain America variant who hasn't been in an episode. Mm. Like there will be some wild version of Cap who's brought in. Um, like maybe maybe what if Steve Rogers became Iron Patriot? Like some some version of Steve we have not seen in the series will be kind of the. The character like, oh, this is so it's not all just like parade of guest stars from previous episodes that there will be a wild card choice. I like it. I like it a lot, actually. Thinking, thinking about what we might be seeing next week. What else are you hoping or expecting to see in that finale? Well, it's it's interesting because I'm not quite sure because, again, 30 minutes. Um how like what's that final fight if it is just a right. final fight like what is that gonna, going to be um because it's literally ultron with all the infinity stones um who should be you know pretty uh unstoppable so i'm just curious like what how are they going to do it because they can't do a time heist or maybe they will do a time heist <laughs> like end game um just as a as a reference and we'll see like each one of those if avengers um get a different time stone and or a different um different infinity stone and bring it together um or if there will be something sort of more i guess like if it'll be more like a clever kind of we think it's going to be a big fight but really it's a big setup to mm. trick ultron into trapping himself in a dead universe like that kind of thing um Oh, like now that I'm saying it, yeah, I think it's going to be a big setup to a fight that might be a quick fight, but really it's just a ploy to get Ultron into some place where the Watcher can kind of lock him away in like, uh, you know, a pocket universe where he can't get out and it's empty and he'll just float alone by himself and he'll be happy because he'll have achieved his mission. Um, I can see that. Absolutely. And there's precedent for you know, with Dr. Strange himself in the Dr. Strange movie, right? Like bargaining with Dormammu and and tricking him as opposed to, you know, beating him with his skills of physical prowess. I had another question for you in terms of where what if fits in with the rest of phase four 
And, you know, my sense is that, as I said, I think the Watcher is setting us up for our understanding of the multiverse so that when we do see the multiverse, when we do see the multiverse in live action in the Spider-Man movie or Doctor Strange, the multiverse of madness, that we have kind of wet our palate a little bit for what this multiverse might mean. But what are you thinking about the role of this moving forward? You have a lot more faith uh, in them than I do. I really don't <laughs> think we're going to see. Um, I, I think TV is still very much siloed. Um, and I don't foresee us getting much. I don't, I don't see us getting any situations where they're like, oh, if you had if you had watched this Disney Plus show, you'll understand this better. But I could be wrong because Scarlet Witch is supposed to be in Doctor Strange 2 and um, clearly they're they're going to have to address WandaVision in Doctor Strange 2. So we'll see. But I, yeah, I just I just don't see them doing much more than possibly Easter eggs in Spider-Man or in Doctor Strange 2. I think it's a good point. And I think that I certainly would not feel disappointed if something like What If were siloed in that way, because as I mentioned, I think What If works best for me when I can kind of just say, all right, let's detach this from any interweaving of the larger cinematic universe and let's just enjoy it for these one-off entries. I am curious, and I, I had a conversation about this with uh, with a guest, Chris Maverick, on, uh, on one of my episodes in the past couple of months where we kind of dug into this and we were just like, do we want the Disney Plus shows to be super interconnected with the movies? Do we think they're going to be? And it seems like, you know, with WandaVision and Falcon and the Winter Soldier, it seems as if like those two stories could be something that enhances your understanding of the characters when we see them again, but not necessarily something that is absolutely essential. Although I would argue WandaVision is essential just because I think WandaVision is like a masterpiece. I love it so much. Um, But regardless, then when we got to Loki, we were like, huh, is Loki the thing that disproves that? Like is Loki essential viewing just because that's what opens the multiverse and introduces Kang or like, it's going to be really interesting to see where they go with this. Yeah. I actually had kind of forgotten about Kang being set up in, in Loki um, and he's supposed to be our our big bad for for the next phase, right? So maybe so. this will really tie in. I, I guess I would still say the sh- the what if show itself probably will not really matter much other than Easter eggs. But the concept of the multiverse um, being introduced on television just with Loki and kind of in some ways that. WandaVision, it wasn't a multiverse, but it was kind of a heightened, heightened yeah. powers of main characters. Right. Th- those will have to affect the movies. And yeah, I think you're right. It'll enrich the story. Like, so like Doctor Strange encounters Scarlet Witch, there will probably be a one-off line about her saying how her powers have grown since they last saw each other. Right. Um, in fact, have they ever seen each other? No, I don't think they have. So uh, <laughs> her powers have just grown. Like it'll be a one-off line that as viewers of the TV will be like, oh, we know how, but the audience members will be like, okay. Like if they haven't seen the TV show, they'll just accept it. Cause we're told it in the movie. Yes. Yes. So I, yeah. Enrich- enriching the universe, but not uh must see viewing to understand. Yeah. Yeah, I can definitely see that. And as I said, with something like What If, I'm very 
happy to kind of leave it where it is and sort of say, okay, we're not going to see live action, a live action version of The Watcher. I don't know. Maybe we will. Uh, moving forward, the when the Ultron uh, version that we see in this episode closes his helmet, it kind of looked to me like the big, huge robotic demon thing that's in the trailer for Eternals. And I doubt that it's oh. it's meant to look similar. But I also know nothing about Eternals from the comics. And so all I know is that like the Eternals are saying that they couldn't interfere and you have the Watcher saying that he couldn't interfere. So I'm like, okay, maybe just in the sense of understanding what it means to have characters who are privy to all of the information we're seeing in the universe, but haven't interfered. It kind of like gives audiences a taste of what that might mean. I don't know. Mm, okay. Yeah. Eternals are in interesting. Like to not get too much in the weeds of the comics. Uh, the Eternals are an interesting thing because created by Jack Kirby and Jack Kirby loved nothing more than to reinvent the Greek pantheon. Um, mm. he, he did it at Marvel. He did it at DC uh he just it was a thing he liked to do is like modern gods um and the eternals were sort of born out of that and kind of unfortunately kind of like some eugenics stuff because ah. there's the eternals which are like the beautiful uh perfect beings and then there's the deviants who are like the ugly people and they're monsters <laughs> and they live underground um and it's all like their genes the the big giant celestials created them as an experiment so i in comics, they it's hard to kind of deal with those characters when they're kind of like they're not scaled like cosmic level power. They're just it's like having a if a team was all made up of Thor, there's a the power level of that team is is pretty big and it's kind of hard to do stuff with them. Mm -hmm. Um so that's always a hard thing to work into, even in the comics. The Eternals people don't really do much with them. Because it's like, well, these ancient immortal beings that are hugely powerful, what stories do we tell with them? Um, right. So like, having the movie be like, well, we've sworn not to get involved. Like, I, I, like I'm like i kind of fine. I know a lot of people kind of take issue with that. Or like, oh, really? Like, you, you knew about Thanos, but, you know, you didn't help him. Like, their whole deal is just like, let humanity do their thing. We're going to live our lives. Uh, we're going to help when where we can, but we don't want to change the course of humanity. I think that's a fine premise. Um, kind of the watcher same way is cosmic level, you know, elder of the universe is his, his, his job and the job of all the other watchers. They just, they watch things and they don't get involved, but right. always the earth, the watcher of earth always gets involved at like very first appearance or not at first appearance, but his first storyline, he gets involved to help humanity. So from their very premise, they kind of win. they went against the whole, we just watch. Um, so yeah. it's just, it's one of those things you just accept like, okay, the watcher just watches most of the time, but you know, when it really matters, he'll step in and help. Yeah. When, when we decide that we're going to tell a particular story, that's when he's going to get involved because yes. <laughs> if the expanse of what it means to be a, the watcher or an eternal is, you know, hundreds of thousands of years or whatever, it would stand to reason that the moment that we're telling a story about them is the moment that stands out in yeah. their life, <laughs> which would be the moment they go against that. Um, no, that's really interesting. I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing the Eternals film and uh, seeing how those characters connect with the with the universe, too. Yeah, I think um, 
I, I will say I have not seen Black Widow because it like pandemics and everything conspired against me to be able to see it. But I did see Shang-Chi, like we kind of talked about earlier. And I think Shang-Chi actually made me more excited for Eternals because Shang-Chi went in such a different direction than I assumed it was going to go. Mm-hmm. So it it surprised me so much that it made me say like, I was going to see Eternals anyway, of course, but this just made me like, wow, what are they going to do with the Eternals? Like if they surprised me with, with like a character who I thought I knew what that movie was going to be, like maybe, maybe they're going to surprise me even more with the Eternals. So that made actually, actually made me more excited for that. Yeah, absolutely. And it was so reinvigorating to see that movie and to see, oh, wow, like here we have another origin story. We're being introduced to a new character, a new part of this world of the MCU. And it's it feels so fresh and it felt so. Yeah. Oh, man, he's a wonderful character and it was a wonderful movie. I'm also a big fan of Black Widow, so I, I definitely recommend seeing it. I think it's coming out on like the free version of Disney Plus soon i want to say next week yeah i was supposed to see it uh double feature at the drive-in with shang chi shang chi being the first film black widow was the second film by the time shang chi was done i'm old i want to go (laughs) i was like oh yeah i don't want to stay i want to go i understand that i do (laughs) that does sound like fun though the double feature i uh i i would love to do that again someday like back to back viewings of all the Avengers movies and <laughs> like I know before Endgame came out there were some theaters that did like the 24 hour yeah <laughs> like the every MCU movie ever marathon <laughs> oh man you know a lot of uh Red Bull or something for that <laughs> <laughs> well before we wrap up here tonight any last thoughts on your mind related to the what if series or anything that we didn't touch on yet from these episodes that stood out to you I would just say I my hope for the second season is that they, you know, lengthen the leash a bit and let them open up to um to what ifs that don't rely on the movies. Mm-hmm. Like I would like to see them do like let them introduce like some of the more comic book elements that haven't been in the movies yet. Um I think it would be amazing to see like what if the Avengers wore their comic book costumes and you just see like them in like full comic book glory, but like in, in MCU, like movie context, um, I'd get a real kick out of that. It it could be one of the funny episodes. You could have lots of jokes about spandex and that kind of thing, but I just, (laughs) I think it'd be funny um, to also hear those actors like Jeremy Renner, like riffing on wearing the purple Hawkeye comic book costume. That'd be fun to me. Um, I'd also love to see them do um, maybe even try to adapt some of the old comics. Like do like one of my favorite what if comics is what if Wolverine became Lord of the Vampires. Oh my gosh. Um, The title alone. I'm in. It's so good. (laughs) It's so good. Cause it takes like, there is an issue of the X-Men in the, like the, I think early eighties where they fought Dracula Um, storm became a thrall of Dracula and the X-Men fight him. Um, And in this one, Dracula kind of like bites all of them, but when he bites Wolverine, Wolverine does become a vampire. But of course, he's Wolverine. He's the best vampire in the world, and he immediately kills Dracula, and he becomes Lord of the Vampires, and so he takes cool. over New York City. And so most of the heroes are either killed or turned into vampires. Um, and and the Punisher uh, is the only one who can fight him. So it's pun- the Punisher as a vampire hunter and at some point dr strange was killed and so the spirit of dr strange guides the punisher so it's the punisher wearing dr strange's cape fighting 
the X-Men as vampires. It's one of my favorite, uh, favorite issues of what if I would love to see them adapt. Uh, maybe once blade kind of gets going sure. or comes out, maybe once they establish vampires in the MCU, we could get a, an MCU vampire to, you know, to refresh the zombie, um, tropes. Uh, so yeah, give me a vampire episode. I want to see that. Um, yeah. And I just, yeah, just, well, yeah, want them, want them to be able to do more with the series. Yeah. Get a little bit more weird. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> to your point, I love the sound of that. And I, I'm a big vampire and horror person too. So I'm very much looking forward to Blade and what that might open up for the MCU, as you said. And yeah. knowing that characters like Dracula, you know, were in the original comics, like at some point in the future, we might see uh, some interweaving of, of the monsters, your kind of classic monster characters with MCU characters and open up an entire horror branch of the MCU. That would be, that'd be pretty cool in my book. Yeah. I'm hoping Moon Knight. Yeah. Um, kind of hedges a little closer to horror, um, even though Moon Knight necessarily isn't a horror character. Like he seems like he should be more closer to you know like werewolves and vampires and such. So maybe the maybe the Moon Knight series uh, will kind of introduce those elements more. I'd love maybe it. not. That'd be really cool. Well, Michael, thank you so much for joining me today. Again, before we go, can you just remind people where they can find you on the internet and find out a little bit more about your work and support that work? Yes. Uh, if you are on the social media, uh, on Twitter, I am Mike is Ernie at Twitter. You know how Twitter works. Um, mm -hmm. I also have my own website by MichaelTanner.com. That's B-Y MichaelTanner.com, where I have a web store where you can be U-Y Michael Tanner comic books. <laughs> and those comic books are... I've got Junior Braves of the Apocalypse, which is young adult horror, uh, young adult survival horror adventure vampire adventure zombie series, and then my current series is Orcs in Space, uh, about uh, some lovable idiot orcs traveling through space having adventures. Uh, the, that's out right now. I also have my own podcast, Burn After Pitching. Uh, it's a comedy pitching podcast where we have a panel of uh, creators and comedians on to pitch their ideas on a subject from ice cream flavors to movie reboots. And that's Burn After Pitching. Thank you. And you can find links to all of that in our show notes. Michael, thank you so much again. This was truly a pleasure and I'd love to be in touch with you in the future and hear more about Absolutely. your thoughts on Marvel and what happens with the MCU. Yes. Thank you so much. This was a ton of fun. If you enjoyed this conversation about episodes six, seven, and eight of what if you can follow the podcast at an idea underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter. Artwork was designed by Brooke Pender, who you can follow at B Pender illustrations on Instagram music by Demeter Salvia, who you can find on Bandcamp and SoundCloud. Thank you for listening and stay tuned next week for a discussion about what's coming up in the MCU with friend of the podcast, Daniel. And after that, an episode wrapping up What If, talking about the finale and some What If series superlatives. <laughs>